Thank y'all so much. Don't you just love how you see a little bit of nerve turned to pure joy as I went through that song? Man, that was great. Thank y'all. If you will, join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today with open hearts. We ask that you fill our soul with your message. We ask that you give us the strength so that we may do your work. Above all, Lord, we ask that you leave with us today. Change people. Let us be yours. Let us be your servants, for you are our God. It is in your name we pray. Amen. And so today we actually will be finishing up with our sermon series through the book of Joshua. Yes, yes, I know. You're probably thinking to yourself, what is this, an English lit course? I mean, we, we had the introduction. We, we're, we're looking at the end because we're in chapter 24. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in the middle. Now, I don't recommend, but some people try this. I'm not sure about it. But when they have to read a book for English lit class, you know, they, they read the beginning of the story or the beginning of the paragraph, end of the paragraph, kind of skim over the rest in the middle. Well, if you did that with the book of Joshua, you would miss some really good stories. Battle of Jericho's in there. We didn't cover it. If you want to have a re reenactment of it, go to our Facebook page. One of the kids' Sunday school class did a walls falling down scene. It was really cute. There's a lot of other stories in there that you miss, so I'm not dismissing those. They're important, and they're good, and they're great reads. They're not just inspiring, but they're also entertaining. So I would recommend that you go back and read this whole story of Joshua from chapter 1 through 24. Now starting in verse or chapter 14, you can start kind of skimming a little bit because while there is a lot of importance there for the children of Israel, finding out who got what piece of land is not really all that entertaining of a read. But what those chapters represent is that God's ancient promise to Abraham had been fulfilled in their presence. And that they were now living in that land promised to them so many years ago. Good stuff. And so today we will turn to the book or to the chapter 24. This is Joshua's kind of farewell speech or sermon or kind of a covenant treaty with the people of Israel. So Joshua had followed Moses all the days of his life. And if you remember in the introduction, a lot of his authority was derived from being with Moses and being there during those uh, significant events in the life of Israel. He was kind of lifted up as the example Hebrew. He was had the right pedigree. He made the right decisions in life, and he had vowed to follow God. And he was with Moses, and then he became the leader of the people. He walked them through the River Jordan as it was at flood stage on dry ground to enter into the land of promise. He did all these things that showed how he was their next leader. By the time we get to chapter 24, though, his life was used up. And he was given one final charge to the people. Now, this chapter begins with a recap. And we're not going to read it because it's a long read. But it recaps what had happened. And there's an interesting note. Joshua doesn't refer to the things that happened under Moses. He is talking now with his own authority. For he had earned it. He had lived with the people. He had fought with the people. He had showed them how to live. He had earned the authority that God had bestowed upon him. 
But it's also important to remember that these events took place before. Starts down in Egypt. This was that generation, that new generation that entered the promised land. You remember that? Moses went down to Egypt. God's mighty signs and all this stuff brought out a group of slaves who failed in the wilderness and who had to wander around until everybody in that generation died. That was the story. But as Joshua recalls the events that transpired, how God delivered this little rabble of a group of people out of bondage and walked them to the promised land, He tells it as if they were there. Because that is the corporate memory of this people. The things that happen in our corporate past are part of our everyday presence. And Joshua knew that if their memory was lacking, they would easily stray from where God would have them go. And so he points out, he says, as God delivered you through the Red Sea, parted you on the dry ground. Not only that, did he crash those waters over the Egyptians that were pursuing you to take your life. God did it. He also goes on to remind them how they came into the promised lands. He reminds them of the Amorites and all these other ones that they fought. It says, I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land. It tells them that. It reminds them about... Jericho. I mean, can you imagine that scene? How important that was? This first battle. They let God go on in front. I mean, they're walking behind a bunch of priests. Now, I am not volunteering for this exercise. I don't want to be in front of you if we're circling around an enemy encampment, walking ahead and blowing a trumpet. That's, that's not my calling, so don't, don't ask. But that's what took place. They had the army following the priest. All this kind of stuff. Blowing their horns, walls just come crashing out. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in those walls, watching these crazy people walking around? Just like, they're at it again, George. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, down on the ground. He reminds them of this. But he also tells them in verse 12, it was not by your sword or your bow. Joshua reminds the people, when we can think back of the journeys that we went through in life, it's easy to see how you accomplished this, how you did this, how you earned this. We can look at our bank account and say, that money's in there because I have earned it. It is my money. It is what I'm to do with it. But Joshua reminds them, it's not by what you have earned. This is what God has done for you. He has called you out. He has walked forward in front of you as the divine warrior he fought your battles for you he gave you this land there's no other reason you're here today always goes back to that promise to Abraham called him out to leave his own family to go where he did not know so Abraham walked through the promised land his wife has a child in her old age Far into the bearing years. Isaac. He has twins. Jacob, Esau. Some great stories there in Genesis. Now, did you catch the scene of this chapter? This is important. First verse. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. 
you're reading through the Old Testament, especially through Genesis and the uh, books of the history, notice the place Shechem. Not Jerusalem, Shechem. This is a place of significant happenings in the life of the people. Genesis 35, you will see Jacob, who is renamed Israel. He's the father of this nation. Through him, 12 tribes are born. This is their history, and it is here at Shechem where they make their first stand. So you remember the scene. Jacob had to escape because he swindled his twin brother kind of out of his birthright and a blessing from his dad and thought he was going to kill him, which he probably would have if he didn't run. He goes spends uh, some time with some cousins, you know, over there to find a bride, all this kind of stuff. Uh, of course, while he's there, he basically develops his own family. He's married. You see how all this goes. Uh, his livestock flourish. He even has these tricks and gets even more livestock and all this kind of stuff. So he builds basically his own little tribe. Returns to Shechem. They did not follow God with all their heart and purity there. Because as Jacob met with his other families, they had their own household gods, their own deities, their own things. It was here at Shechem, as Jacob returned home to meet with Esau, that he said, gather up all your household gods, all those graven images that you have. It's time to purify our family clan as we return. They bury them at Shechem. Look it up. Genesis 35. Read the story. It's just a little line. This is the place where Joshua chooses to renew the covenant. They don't have all these multiple deities like the other nations do. They have one God. And in a covenant, you need a witness. Well, if you're a Gentile pagan, you know, that kind of thing, you just ask one of the other guys to witness your, your treaty between you and God. They don't have that. So they set up these stones that were there. The rocks, that listened that listen to this speech, to this sermon, to this charge, to basically this treaty that Joshua was giving between the people and God. They will be your witnesses. These rocks that witness all these events will be set up as monuments to remind the people. So when it said, and when your children ask, you tell them this. It is so that the story of God would be transmitted from generation to generation. And so we look again here at Joshua, an aged man, a leader of the people. Now, we can gloss over some of the sections of this book and see how everything went as according to plan, how they followed God, God fought for them, and all this kind of stuff. But when we start reading the details of this story, we find that, yes, the people did follow God at times, but it wasn't perfect they failed in their mission. They would do things on their own without consulting God on the direction, on how to proceed. And God will let them fail. The story of the Hebrew people, of these Israelites who were brought out of bondage, is not a story of an easy life. It is a story of struggle. It is a struggle between following the one true God and falling into the temptation of idolatry. It's easier said than done. And so let's pick up in chapter 24, verse 14. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. 
and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your father, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua tells them. This isn't, hey guys, we did a great job, we've got the land, let's keep up the good work and go, pep talk. If you got that from the story of Joshua, you missed something. For the pep talk is this, this is hard. You'll be faced with temptations, you will be faced with trials to come. I'm not going to be with you anymore. It's your turn to decide. He says, choose this day who you will serve because you will serve one or the other. Are you going to serve what you're familiar with? Those gods that your, your grandfather, great-grandfather served down in Egypt. All kind of things there. Fertility gods. That's handy. Maybe there's a rain god, sun god. Hey, farmers, you know, that, these kind of sound good. If you can pray to this thing to get the sun at the right time, the rain at the right time, that's not a bad deal. Do you stay with where your past was? God the deliver have brought you out. Do you go back to your old life, he asked. As Christians, we need to hear this. Do you return to the life you had before you met Christ? what Joshua was asking the people are the God of the Amorites what does that mean those were the people who dwelled in the promised land before they got there they had their own culture they had their own way of doing things this nomadic people now become city dwellers they left their rural lifestyle of depending on God for everything for the rain to come in its right seasons, for the sun to grow their crops. They're now become city livers. <laughs> that kind of sounded strange. City dwellers, that sounds better. There's a temptation here. A temptation to adapt to the culture that is already present. So as a culture that we live in, Joshua's asked, are you going to follow God or are you going to do what the majority says? Because this little group is still the minority group. Because they have chosen to follow a God. The one true God. The one who created the heavens and the earth. But in the scheme of things, they are a small, insignificant crop of people. There is this temptation to dwell in the land as the people who dwelled there before them. As if their God who delivered them out of slavery, out of bondage, makes no difference. Because what the people around them are doing looks good. They look successful. They look blessed because of their lifestyle. So Joshua's asked, do you want to go back to the way you were before you met your Lord? You want to live like the people who are all around you because it's popular and fun and looks entertaining. These are your choices, Joshua's asked. But then he challenges them. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He's making a strong statement here. He's not saying, I know you can do it. Pick yourself up. Let's go get this done. He's saying, I don't think you can. 
He said, watch me. We're going to do it. My household is going to make the hard decision that we are going to stand by our God who led us out of Egypt, who led us out of slavery, who gave us this promised land. This is who we are going to stand by. But I don't think you could do it. You're going to have to pick today. Who's it going to be? The way you used to be? What's popular now? Or to take the hard road? The hard road to serve your God. Of course, they go on and answer and say, and the people answer, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us out and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. And it goes on and on on why they agree. And Joshua says, okay, you have committed to this covenant. If you fail, God will not forgive you, it says. Harsh, harsh words. We don't like to think of a God like that. We don't think of a God who once you're in, there is no turning back. We want a God who is free to forgive. But Joshua sees it from the, the aspect of his people. They were chosen by a holy God. There was a break in reality between the holy God and his good creation. Joshua sees that they were called out to be a special people, but they were to live a life different than everyone around them. They were given a privilege that none of these other nations were given. They were given the instructions on how to live a life that their holy God called them to live. He doesn't think they can do it. But this story is to be read generation after generation. It is to remind the people that there are some in our presence that have the right pedigree, that have the right background, that have the right leadership, that they will be our leaders because they follow God. The story even tells us they are some people who come from outside of us, these foreigners, these immigrants, these people that we look down on. It is through their faith that they will also serve our God. But when we lit, read through the stories, we realize it's much harder to be faithful than it is to stray away, to go back to the way things were, to be caught up by the present realities of where we are, than to serve God with all of our heart. Now, Jesus taught this same lesson in a parable. It's in Matthew chapter 13. It's a very familiar parable. It's the parable of the sower. Do you remember this parable? It says, a sower got up one day, you went out, so his field. Now this is broadcast spreading. So imagine a farmer with a sack of grain just spreading it out over his lot. Well, these weren't big section acres. These were little kind of backyard farms. You know, that a small family could hand, hand tend to and all this kind of stuff. Well, if you have a little small area of land, you want to have maximum yield, don't you? You know, I don't have to tell you this. If you're a farmer, you want the most you can get out of any square inch that you can. And so this sower would go out, spreading his seed. He'd go up right to the edge of his tilled soil, and he'd throw it. Some would go up onto the, the path, Jesus says. Birds would come and eat it up. 
Some would go into the bad areas, this rocky, rough area. It has a little bit of soil, but the plants can't grow up and have roots. Jesus said, as the, the sun comes up and sun bakes on these plants with no root, they dry up, they wither away, they're no more. So some of them will fall on the other side, where there's thistles and thorns and all this. And those plants, they grow. But they're not very fruitful because they're being choked out by all the weeds, all the gunk, all the things around them. But he said some of those seeds, the majority of those seeds, they're going to fall on good soil. They're going to take root and they're going to flourish. So what does this have to do with Joshua? Those seeds that fell along the path, those are people who heard the gospel, but they didn't believe it snatched away the seeds that fell on the rocky ground they had this emotional experience with Jesus they heard the preacher give an impassioned sermon and, and they said they believed and they followed it's kind of like those uh, commercials with the abused animals have you seen these you know, you didn't care once about giving money to a charity until you see that poor little animal suffering in a cage from neglect and abuse. Kind of pulls at you a little bit. You, you almost reach for your checkbook and then you realize the commercial's over so you go back to watching your TV show. There are some who come and that they hear and they, they are moved in their spirit but they never really commit to following Christ as their Savior. And then there was others Probably many of us here today who believe in Christ, who has found his salvation, but yet they let the problems of this world, the thorns and the thistles, they let them keep them from being fruitful. They can believe, they do nothing about it. And finally, is their last crop at good soil. Everything works together. They've heard the word. They believe. They let the farmer cultivate their fields. Let them prune out the weeds. Let them grow. But the farmer's there every step of the way so that they may be fruitful and they may flourish. That is what we are striving to be. This is the message that Joshua is teaching the people in the covenant. He is teaching them that today you have to choose. For if you do not choose the good soil, you've got to choose something. You either got to reject it all and go back to the way things were. Or you just let culture tell you how to live. That you may believe in God, but it doesn't change anything about you. But he says, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Church, what is your decision today? Whom do you choose to serve? Do you choose to serve that former life of yours? Do you choose to serve the God of this culture? Or do you choose to serve the Lord? Please join with me in a word of prayer. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for 
the gift of Scripture so that we may study these words. We thank you that the, you have given us the Holy Spirit that will enlighten our study and enlighten the words that we hear so that we may apply them to our life. Lord, as we enter this time of invitation, I ask that if there's anyone here today that has not made a choice, that today is the day that they will choose, that they will choose to follow you. Even though the road may be hard and not many will join them. It is in your name we pray. Amen.